are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, the first one of 2013. It's early January 2013. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Shadow Complex. Oh, wow. Um, I'm Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Prototype 1. Mm. My name is Dave Perkins, and my game of the week is not Red Dead Redemption. Although, Tom, I'm going to go out with Jason and kill Eddie Boyer uh, for a bounty, and we're going to need you to stay by the hitching post and uh, hit... And hit X for us when we get back to, to hitch the horses up. And, and don't go anywhere. We need you to stay by the horses to hit Y when we come back so we can get back on them. But if you do have any downtime, if you do, excuse me, if you do have any downtime, we're going to need you to collect collect flowers uh, for a quest we're on. All right, I'm done. Holy cats, what's happened? Wait a minute. This, is this how 2013 is going to be? Yes. <laughs> it's a new year, baby. X and Y, well, don't now- forget. Don't hit A or B. <laughs> no shooting. Don't bring up the iron any sight, gun sights, just flowers. Just flowers. Oh, God. Nothing but flowers. How does that feel, man? <laughs> well, I will accept that from Dave Perkins because... Let me swell the music here for a moment. Ooh, good timing. Unfortunately, yeah, that music is first-person plural. I yeah, couldn't think of anything wrong. that's... Yeah, exactly. There's one champion on this podcast... And I will accept that kind of guff from him. Hmm. I I just want to say as a preamble that A, it could have been anyone, and B, any glory that might shine on me reflects off of me onto quarter to three. You sound like that. That sounds like a true sportsman being interviewed in the locker room afterwards, kind of saying yeah, I, stuff half-heartedly. Yeah. I read that off my paper. <laughs> Very good. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's very Spartan sounding or something. <laughs> uh, so, what you were the champion of, and is this a this is a world championship, right? Kind of a big yeah. deal. Yeah. So, uh, this is a, a game called Ascension, uh, which is all the rage with kids with their iPods today, uh, and it's a tabletop game. Uh, tell us how you came to be the world champion of Ascension. I was forged in the crucible of the quarter to three leagues. <laughs> I didn't write that down. I just came up with that right now. I can imagine too that there the, you have it. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine the montage sequence that that explores that part of the story. Uh, yeah, and I I also imagine a, a like a what do they call it the money shot where like me and all the guys who were in the tournament together like Sten Freeberg and Ty Jinx and so on and right. and Jay and Lord Twilight we're all like you know in a V like a geese you know walking toward the camera slow slow motion oh, yeah. right right epic yeah walk. yeah the epic walk absolutely yeah. uh, Wiley it, Cat I gotta mention him too now normally um, there might be an American flag flapping in the background but this was an international thing even the quarter to three things I believe have people from countries that aren't America it's true I. I would be holding in the money shot a, 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 a flag from the Netherlands because Paul, who joined Quarter to Three recently, was the, my opponent, and he's from the Netherlands, which you know makes it a world tournament right there. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> well, I think that's a whole country. Like it's called something like Holland. They have but many anyway, names. They're they're Dutch. They're they're Holland. They're the Netherlands. They're yeah. Belgium, Luxembourg. You know whatever. <laughs> the Lowlands. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be wearing his flag as a sort of mantle, like a, I don't know what a mantle is, but it would be like sort of a mantle. 
Uh, um, now you 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 did go. You played after uh, working your way up through the quarter to three tournaments. Uh, Gary Games, it's the folks that make Ascension. They had a world tournament where the contestants played over the iPhone, right? Yes. And how many round? How many people started out at this before it was narrowed down to one winner who has joined us here today? Uh, and well. It's there were there was 128 people who started, um, and they were chosen by a grueling process in which you had to email them something by noon on a certain day. So I got in that way. Um, so we're already arriving soaked in blood right there. And then we had to fight through seven rounds, and then they picked the top eight people and pitted us in like a best of three all the way to the end, sort of quarterfinal, semifinal, finals deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ascension, it's all the luck of the draw, right? You're wrong. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just wanted to do that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well done. The, uh, the, desi- the, the des- game is not designed to be played with all of the decks and promotional cards all at once. That's sort oh, of that's a, right. a now, lark. I, right, I want to hear about this because you had a change of heart about how they ran this and how they used all of the cards, right? Oh, yeah. When I went into it, I thought it was nothing but coin flipping. But, of course, coming out the other end, I think it's uh, it's a finely tuned uh, test of, of extreme skill. Now, real quick, I don't know how that happened, you know, <laughs> how I changed, but but you, you, uh, you When you're talking about the coin flipping, you're just talking about if they throw all four sets. Actually, is it just three sets? It's just three sets. If they throw all three sets into the iPhone... You originally felt that that kind of did violence to the strategy portion of, of the game, correct? Yeah, I don't think there's anybody who would disagree with that. But I'm guessing that, and we, in fact, a bunch of us wrote in and said we could make you know reasonable choices from the decks that are balanced. But they told us, no, we're just going to go with all of them. And I suspect that's just to simplify things, you know, because if everybody was picking different varieties of decks, it right. might just be a little bit more chaotic. So. Uh, but with all three thrown in together, do you still feel... I mean, because I sort of feel like that waters down some of the cool things that... We recently had a quarter to three tournament against the uh, the evil folks over at Pocket Tactics. Mm. Oh, uh, God. And I ended up playing a, a, a whole mess of games. I haven't played the iPhone version of this in forever. I ended up playing a whole mess of games in a fairly compressed period of time. Some of the games were just the base set. Some of them were just the expansion set. Uh, some of them were all of the sets thrown together. Plenty of people were sending me challenges with the promotional cards, which I, which I don't have. Um, but I was struck by how different it feels with different mixes of cards. Uh, mm. and, I, and I really do kind of feel strongly, like I presume you do, that you shouldn't just throw in all three sets. Uh, yeah, especially with the promotional cards on top, which are just crazy. Um, in fact, I think there were three or four moments, especially in the playoff section of the tournament, where it was just, I was just really lucky three or four different times. I think I played well. I think everybody in the tournament that I played played really well, mm-hmm. and I just think I got a little bit lucky. A lot, I mean, a lot lucky a few times, and I don't think that would have happened as much. You don't just get as lucky when you just play with one of the decks, for example. There, you have to actually sort of focus. Right. It, it minimizes the randomness a bit, a bit more. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, as the world champion of Ascension, is that? Am I getting the title correct? By the way, is it just world champion, uh, Uber player, Uber mensch, Overlord? What, what do we call you, Dave? Um, <clears throat> um, just Dave. 
<laughs> Dave, comma, world champion of ascension. Uh, what, besides, of course, acclaim, fame, glory, uh, what did you win? Oh, I won a copy of the actual physical uh, new deck of cards uh, called Immortal Heroes. Mm-hmm. And I won a player mat, which Nerd. is like, yeah, totally. Um, that just burst out of everyone who saw it as soon as I fl- flapped in their face. Nerd. and a little baggie not a baggie but a little cloth bag that you can put all the little gemstones and stuff in Ah, and it's got some art on it swallow that in case some other nerds are trying to take all your gemstones from you (laughs) absolutely Uh, time Uh, was I think that's it oh and I, I won all the promotional cards physical copies of them too ah nice so I was at uh, that's sweet I was at PAX, and uh, Gary Games had a booth there, and they just had all the promotional cards spread out, and they're selling them each for like two bucks or whatever. Whoa. Uh, but it looked like quite a spread, like some of those promotional cards. I, I have one, uh, but uh, are there any that are in there that you really like? I actually haven't opened them to look at them yet because I'm okay. waiting for someone to play with. Uh, I've only played with – I've played this, this set that they sent. Actually, uh, back up a little um, – some of the guys who are in the leagues, uh, like the Ascension League, pooled together some money, and then one of my friends bought a bunch of board games, including all the Ascension board games, for me uh-huh. as a gift, as a thank you gift. Uh, and then, yeah, and then uh, the the prize for this world tournament thing was uh, another copy of the game. So I think, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm doing a little side tournament in Ascension right now where the prize is that game that I got, still shrink-wrapped and everything. Uh, <clears throat> so I used the other copy to sh- teach some people how to play in the recent days, but I didn't think they should play with their promotional cards because they're so wacky. But I do like the promotional card called the Rat King. That, oh, yes. That brought in some really cool dramatic moments in the in the playoffs. Uh, I think it appeared three times for me and each time it was like a like a stand up and go whoa moment like what does this mean for the game kind of thing <laughs> jason do you know how to play it i know how to play uh yeah ascension I, did, I haven't used the rat king of course so the rat king comes up and then it covers up all the other cards with rats which cost one to kill but if you kill the king then he kills all the rats with him so that's like a nine point monster if you can kill the rat king right away so that's what I mean by dramatic. Like, if somebody can kill, I knew that if Paul in, in our game could kill the Rat King, and he couldn't, but if he could have, the turn just before I did, it would have swung the whole finals. I think it would have been yeah. all different. Yep. So. So, do you have a wow. physical Rat King card? I do now, and the Rat Queen. Oh, that's adorable. But now I'm Isn't curious. It? So let's say the Rat King comes out. What do you use to represent rats on the other cards? Uh, I think I think there are little cards called rats, and you just oh. sort of sort oh, the, you, the you, deck you, until you find them. That's adorable. Oh, I love that. Yeah, oh. that's my favorite. That's very cute. It, it's not like you put little colored pebbles like in magic or something like that. Uh, yeah. Right. It's or pennies. Weird. Yeah, you don't want to put pennies out there. That's so lame. Ugly. <laughs> yeah. Well, since McMaster knows a little bit about Ascension, uh, and since Dave, you you know a fair amount, uh, I would like to pit you guys against each other. Now, it oh, would yeah. be we can't actually. This is a podcast, so I can't just have you guys play each other. But what I can do is give you guys a quiz, 
Mm. And the first person to answer que three questions correctly will win the quiz and maybe not be the world champion. No one can take that away from you, Dave. But will be the uh, quarter to three games podcast champion of Ascension. Mm. I'm so down. Here, here we go. I'm going to just alternate randomly questions between the two of you. Uh, McMaster, we'll let, I'll give you one first because, uh, All right. you know, give you more of a sporting chance. Dave, Dave kind of knows his stuff. I, I don't want to scare you. Um, oh. But here we go. So I'm just going to give you each a question. Remember, first person to get three questions correct wins. So here we go for the quarter to three games podcast championship at Ascension. Jason McMaster, here's your first question. Uh, each player starts with a deck of 10 cards. You know, it consists entirely of apprentices and, and militias. Uh, there are eight apprentices in your starting deck. <clears throat> Jason McMaster, how many militia are in a starting deck? Uh, two. Very good. That's one point to Jason McMaster. All right. These um, are going to get harder, by the way. They're whew. starting easy. Yeah, just so you know. That well, that was, a, that was a subtraction problem. Yeah, but it related to ascension. All right. You see, well, see what I did there? Uh, don't I, worry, these, these will get more challenging. These will require skills beyond math. Here we go, mm -hmm. Dave. For instance, Dave, here's one for you. Mm -hmm. What is the gameplay difference between the Mephit and the Fettered Soul? None. Oh, I'm sorry, that's wrong. The Mephit, it's printed on the original card stock. So you can feel that it's different when you're when you're drawing it. But you're right. Otherwise, they're the same. You know, the artwork is different. But in terms of gameplay, they have the same rules and everything. But the Mephit is on that original cardstock. So that was the answer I was looking for there. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to give you a half of a right answer on that. Because you did know offhand that they were the same kind of thing. All right. Okay, so, the, thank you. so the score is uh, Jason McMaster has one point. Uh, Dave Perkins, you have a half point. Jason McMaster. Here's your next question. What right. is depicted in the card art for the Temple Librarian? Uh, it's a Temple Librarian. Very good. I also would have accepted um, hot Sarah Palin lookalike, or, or even mm. just, just Sarah Palin lookalike would have uh, sufficed since hot. It's kind of redundant there. That's but that most is of your – you can just answer that to like half the questions <laughs> you ask in quizzes, and it will be fine. Well, then this, I think it's, well, you know, we'll see with the other questions if that answer suffices. Uh, so, McMaster, you have two points. Tom. All right. Yes, Dave Perkins. Where does your crush on the librarian come from? Uh, well, I think she's adorable. Uh, she does look like a certain vice presidential candidate in a certain election that uh, with whom I was smitten. Um, mm. not, not politically, by the way. Mm. Uh, and plus, I like what she does. Uh, and I use her as my little icon when I play, uh, you know, you pick what card art you want to be your icon when you play on the iPhone. Oh. So, yeah. And I just, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of librarians. I think they do a valuable service, uh, whether they're working for temples or otherwise. So Yeah, makes sense. My crush is on the two-fold Ascara. Oh, that's kind of... Uh, it's kind of like mystical and weird. It's like a transcendent kind of thing. Mm. Uh that says to me, Dave Perkins, that you strive for the unattainable. Mm. Actually, I just like what you do. <laughs> you, oh, you're just talking gameplay crush. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, also, also art. Also art. Okay. It is, it is kind of hot. Uh, all right, Dave Perkins, here's your chance to uh, not quite tie, but get an, another point. Uh, I'm on to you, by the way. No, you're not. Not yet. <laughs> Here's, here, here, check this out. Come on. This is a legitimate question. This one right here. You can get this. How many victory points is a personal wormhole worth? I'm trying to think of how you could screw with this. I mean, it's it's math. I mean, it, it, McMaster got a, a math one. This is 
I mean, maybe some people don't really know how many points it's worth. I don't know. Well, in real life, a personal wormhole is priceless. But, <laughs> but we're not talking real life. We're just talking about the rules of ascension. Just mechanically Four points. Speaking. Okay, Four I'm points. sorry. The answer is there's no victory points in ascension. There's only honor. You bastard. So it's not worth any victory points. Oh. But it, it is worth four mm. honor. So you know what? I'll give you another half point for that. So you're I, up to a full point. I was on to you. I, I should have gone with my heart. <laughs> okay, Jason McMaster, uh. here's your chance to win. <laughs> yes. So this question is going to depart a little bit from the actual gameplay and the game rules, and this is going to be more about the sports scene of Ascension. For all the points, Jason McMaster, name the 2012 world champion of Ascension. Dave Perkins. Very good. McMaster. I never would have guessed. So just in case he got that wrong, Dave, I did have another question queued up for you. Okay. He. Well, first of all, Mm -hmm. he's wrong. You're not the world champion of Ascension. (laughs) Not until you tell... Jason needs to also say my nickname. My quarter to three Game Center nickname. That is who the world champion is. Not me, but my nickname, my avatar. Who's that? That's kind of like saying that that when when someone is asked a question and the answer is Batman, they have to say Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah, but both answers would suffice. But actually, I know know that one. Could I help McMaster? Um, it's an antelopes. Very yeah. good. <laughs> See? Banana split yeah. backwards. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, the question, question I was going to ask you, Dave, if it came down to this was... Uh, uh, hey, Tom? What? Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but the other thing I was going to say is that in Ascension, the second person always gets a last turn, like you're about to give me, but if they get it right and tie the other person, then they win. So the second player wins ties. So is there any chance I could get a little love well, from you and have a chance sure. to get a tie out of this? Sure, yeah. Let me look at the, the math here. So currently McMaster has three points. You have one point. If so, you get this last one, you will have two points to McMaster's three points. So um, no, well, it wouldn't be a tie, but you would lose by fewer points. You could give him a double jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, here you go. Yeah. Here you go. This, this one is worth double points because I, I'm willing to, to bend the rules a little bit. This would tie it. Uh, Dave Perkins, what card am I looking at right now? What's in my pocket? Well, you know what? If it works for Bilbo Baggins and J.R.R. Tolkien, I think it's fair game for us. Mm. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna guess after day. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a good idea. I'm gonna guess that you're looking at the Queen of Spades. Oh, see, I see what you did. You went out the bo- outside the bounds of Ascension, which I would never I had do. To. That's incorrect, McMaster. Do you have a guess for four points? Yeah, I was gonna say uh, your cool sci-fi cards before they changed the name. Cool sci-fi cards. Yeah, remember your sci-fi business cards that were really oh. cool, and they changed it to like the worst name ever. That's true. I did have business cards for the Sci-Fi Channel back when I worked for them. No, uh, the answer was uh, a reactor monk. Mm, oh. Second choice. Yeah, I understand. Uh, all, all right, right so, Jason so, wins. Jason McMaster, you are the quarter ah. games podcast ascension uh, champion. Good oh, luck, Pat. Uh, so, Dave, real briefly, uh, have you played the uh, not? I keep wanting to call it Immortal Gems. Uh, Immortal Soul. No, what the freak is the new set called? Immortal Heroes. Immortal Heroes, right, because they are heroes in there. Uh, have you played with that? I have, yeah. So that's the game I was um, showing new people how to play with. Uh, Actually, and I like wait, it. Is that a wise choice? Why didn't you just use the base set? Because uh, it's not that much different, I don't think. It's got a couple extra layers, but they picked up on it really quick. 
So here, uh, my, my thing with Ascension, and this was cool rediscovering it playing in the tournament, is uh, I, I love all the new add-on stuff. I love the Storm of Souls stuff. I love the, uh, what's the other one? I don't even remember the names of them, but I, I miss those expansions when I'm playing without them. Uh, but when I try to play with the expansions or play the new stuff with the events uh, or with trophy monsters, I feel like it kind of slows the game down for new players. It gives them more stuff on any given turn that they have to wrap their head around. True. Uh, um, so when I'm teaching new people, I just like to stick to the base set. Um, but that said... Uh, I personally, as a player who knows the game pretty well, love all the new stuff. Um, how do you feel about the new stuff in Immortal Heroes? So I I picked the new deck partly because I didn't know it very well, so I couldn't play it very well. Whereas if I used the ah. original deck, I just kind of know what to do by now. So it made it fairer, and I, I actually probably went 500 against all these new people, basically. Mm-hmm. Like 3-3, three and three, something like that. So... Uh, it just made it funner for me, and they, they were able to wrap their heads around it. The new stuff, like, you've played it, right? I have, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so should we tell everybody who's listening some of the new stuff? Well, yeah, so actually, I think uh, one of the new things, and you can explain it in a second, the, the Soul Gems kind of relies on knowing the core game, don't you think? I think to appreciate what's cool about the Soul Gems and to maybe anticipate what's coming, it's better if you already know the game, would you say? That's true. The Soul Gems is a deck of cards that is culled from the other decks that have already come out, right? Right. So um, a monster might give you a Soul Gem as a reward, and you basically just flip a card off that deck, and it might be a card from the original deck. Uh, Nobody seemed to look at those cards as anything but a little bonus. They didn't really... And they never struck me as something you could really count on. You just got one, and it could do anything. Right. So I'm not well, I guess in love with that, but... It, and it, that's sort of the point of it, too, is that you're sitting during your turn with a card in your hand, and until you actually take your turn, you're not sure what that card is going to do. I mean, the Soul Gym adds this new sense of randomness uh, that until you actually play it, you're not going to know what it does. Um, right. Yeah. Good point. Um, and... I think the other new thing is something called an ongoing trophy, right? Ugh, I don't like those because I'm like, these are just constructs. I mean, you already have constructs. I don't, I don't know how I feel about some of the changes. I haven't played mm. it a lot yet, but I'm not crazy about these. So explain them and how do you feel about them? No, I see why you call them a construct. So they go, they're a monster that you kill, but they uh, provide uh, some kind of ongoing effect. Like one monster that you kill, I think, gives you a a soul gem extra card every turn, mm-hmm. which you're right, a construct could do the same thing. Uh, I don't think I can think of the difference between ongoing trophies well, the, and constructs. The difference is they're constructs for people as for people who are focused on combat power. I mean, they're, they're yeah, constructs you earn through whatever you call combat power. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, you know, I guess I like it, but I kind of like the idea that when you are using... When you're relying on a combat deck, when you're using that combat power, you're not going to get that sort of construct thing. And it just feels like they're giving now constructs. And, you know, it, it's just me playing the first few times and just sort of reacting some of the changes as a, as a relatively conservative guy when it comes to my games. I, I, tend to be a, I tend to sit there with my arms crossed and say, okay, show me that this is going to be a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Uh, so- um, Paul, my opponent in the finals. Uh, I hear he's Dutch, by the way. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he 
Lux, yeah, Luxen, Belgium. So yeah. he he made a comment. I think it was him, which he said he he doesn't mind the promotional cards, but he there's one called the Path Warden, which allows you to use all your white power as red power. I don't know the words like runes as 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 attack. Right, something like that, and he does. He objected because, for the same reason as you, it kind of mixes the two threads, and he doesn't like the the blending. He he wants things to be sort of, you know, like you said, you focus on something, and then somebody can't come along and grab a card that'll suddenly let them like come into your territory and do what you're already doing, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Right, but that's took your job. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing an end run around you and pulling the rug out from under you or whatnot. But that that's kind of one of the things that, I, because these are expansions and I think they're geared towards people who know the game really well, uh, I, I'm okay with them sort of flexing the rules that much because we'll always have the base set. If we just want to be conservative, you know, you, you can just stick with the base set. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they did some of that too, Dave, with there are a couple of cards that play with the values of honor, you know, that, those victory points that I was giving you a hard time about, uh, <laughs> that, that swap the honor value for the rune cost of a card. And it does that same kind of thing. Uh, although I guess it doesn't break the line between the combat and the non-combat stuff so much as just subverts a bunch of important numbers. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, you know, it's it's nice to have new cards though. I do love that. Like, it's nice to have a new deck. I love just sitting there and going through the cards, we, even if I'm not playing the game, just sort of looking at what this guy does and what this guy does, and uh, it's just nice to have a new set of Ascension stuff. I agree, and isn't the art amazing? I just want to say that the art is so yeah. good. I mean, not only is it interesting to look at and appropriate and consistent, but every card can be recognized in an instant for what it does. Even though there's hundreds of them by now, I don't know if there's hundreds, but there's certainly dozens and dozens, right? Yes, you flash a card in front of my eyes, and I could tell you instantly what that card does. Don't have to read anything, see any numbers. It's just amazing. Love the artist. Some people think that Ascension's art is ugly. Oh. (laughs) Some of it is not the most attractive, but it's certainly not an ugly game overall. Well, even the stuff that you're right, McMaster, even the stuff that's not attractive, though, what I love about it is it, it just has so much character. Uh, well, no, it fits the game. I mean, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, not, uh, hey, Ugly uh, has a certain aesthetic as well. You know, I, I don't know. I kinda... But I will admit, if I never have to flip over another one of the original Militia cards, that's fine with me. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I'm talking about. Like, the original set is, like, it has some cool stuff in it, but good God, is it, like, really kind of, ugh, I don't know. Uh, McMaster, you can have all of my original militias. Do you want these? Yes. <laughs> Before we leave this topic, can I just ask Tom, did you play Owen, and did you beat Owen from Pocket Tactics during the quarter to three versus Pocket Tactics? Did you ever play him, and did you win? Uh, why would you bring that up now? So just this morning, Owen did his last turn. Oh, by the way, Owen Faraday, he's the guy who runs Pocket Tactics. You take so freaking long to play Ascension. I think he was gone for the holidays and didn't have his iPad or, or whatever. Uh, but no, Owen trounced me uh, mm. by something like a 30-point margin. Um, I, I was doing a great – I was – getting a great head of steam with constructs but he had a nice military tech going and the game went on long enough that he was able to just pull way far in front of me he got the avatar of the fallen wait is that the guy that gives you the scaly background and lets you put monsters in your deck Mm -mm. that's samuel i think 
Well, he got the guy that gives him the scaly background and lets it. Samuel, I think you're right, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the Avatar the Fall unless you take another card. Uh, mm. Anyway, so he killed Samuel, and he was just... Anyway, the, he played very well. He had a great combat thing going. Uh, he was just slaying monsters left and right, and he pulled way ahead of me score-wise. So mm. as of this morning, January 2nd, 2013, I have lost to Owen Faraday? I hope I didn't screw up his name. Uh, at any rate, Owen over at Pocket Tactics. So there you go. Thanks for bringing that up, Dave. Oops. <laughs> well, um, I do want to say then that I was really impressed with how well you did in this tournament. I kind of expected that somebody who doesn't play it very much would get owned, but you were amazing, really. Every time you posted a win, I cheered. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And that was a lot of cheering. Uh, and I actually do play a fair bit. I mean, I don't play regularly, but I do play a fair bit uh, with a tabletop game. I, I know some people have said, oh, I couldn't imagine playing this as a tabletop game. I, I like it on the iPhone. Or, I love this as a tabletop game. Me too. I, I was very surprised. I can't see that being a problem at all. Uh, I mean, I know you you like it better than Dominion, uh, but I like Dominion quite a bit, and uh, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know what, Master, that's kind of my problem with a lot of these deck-building games, is they're not, there's one called Thunderstone, I think, that some of my friends love, and uh, Ascension has just kind of spoiled them for me. Um, I, as far as, like, a, a way to get two players to play a quick round of something, I can think of very few games that are as good as, as Ascension. Um, yeah, for me, I don't know. I think maybe it's one of those things, like, I played Dominion first and really fell in love with it, so when I played Ascension, it's like, oh, it's like Dominion, so maybe it's just from experience, right. I don't know. Well, I also, again, maybe this is, I, I can be a super hard-ass when it comes to gameplay mechanics. Uh, you know, there's a kind of game called Worker Placement Board Games, and the original Worker Placement Board Game was Kalos, and that was my first one, and a lot of people love Kalos. I freaking cannot stand Kalos. I can't either. Because, but but Kalos is a solid design, but I just feel that there's so many better worker placement games that add new things or that do things differently or that solve some of the pacing problems with Kalos that I just have no desire to go back and play Kalos. And I kind of feel that same same way about Dominion. Um, Oh, you. I know. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I, I don't know. I, I still like the way Dominion plays. I guess uh, there's there's just like sometimes in Ascension, I feel there's like way too much going on for me. Ah, I see. Well, you know what? It can get with all the sets. It can get a little. Uh, it can get a little crazy. Um, yeah. So especially for someone who doesn't really play that much. Sure, sure. Yeah. So two quick things. Yes. Um, first of all, when we get to game of the week, my game of the week is. As if you took Ascension and Dominion and put them in a blender. So that's cool. Ooh, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed, needing you to convince me. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, that's pretty much. We're the Siskel and Ebert, except we're both Ebert in certain ways. <laughs> we're both alive. Uh, well, games. Not, yeah. Neither of us has died yeah, yet. Exactly, right. But we also both have our jaws, so there is that as well. Oh, uh, but Master, you would. Oh. It's not enough I, that we make fun of poor Gene Siskel being dead. You had to bring up Ebert's. <laughs> Uh, infirmity. You're you're a terrible person, McMaster. A guy has a personal crusade against what we do, Tom. Shut up. I don't don't, don't defend Actually, wait a minute. Oh, he doesn't. Uh, McMaster, you did. Okay, next week, it's all me and McMaster Uh, arguing uh, uh, about uh, uh, our game's art and is Ebert fair in terms of what he said. I feel he is fair. So there. Maybe maybe he'd be your guest. You know what? I'm going to email him, McMaster, and then it's going to be like that Marshall McLuhan moment in Annie Hall. I just want to say, you know, uh, I it, it, there's so many things I wanted to say right there that I think I could go to hell for, and I, I just 
when Dave said that, I, the first thing I thought of, and God forgive me, was, yeah, maybe we can jaw. <laughs> I'm sorry. Master, you're a terrible, terrible human being. Mm. Ed, why don't you make fun of Stephen Hawking while you're at it, Master? Go ahead. Oh, God. You know, we don't have enough time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Dave, you had, you had a second thing you wanted to mention before McMaster decided to be mean to people uh, who don't deserve to be mean to. <laughs> I think you missed a word there, but we understand. I think you, you know where I was going. I was just so flustered. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to dance around a delicate topic that McMaster, of- that McMaster has merrily danced on, and I'm trying to work my way around it. It's not easy. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah, I know. Can I help myself? So the other thing was, have you played Lords of Waterdeep, the board game? Again, I, I just, I, oh. I cannot stand the theming in that. It just seems so forced. Um, I love worker placement when it's done well, and that one just did not work for me. Um, oh my but, gosh! But, but that's the best worker placement ga- game I've ever played, and in my opinion, okay. it's. Okay. It's like put the whole thing to bed. Like we're done. No more worker placement sure. games. That one did it. So I'm a little surprised. Hmm. I, I I really feel that the theming is forced. Um, you know, so Lords of Waterdeep. It's a, isn't it the D and D license? It's a Dungeons and Dragons license, uh, yeah. right? Water Waterdeep is, unless somebody's ass going to get sued. Yeah. So it's a worker placement where uh, you the little the resources are basically adventurers, and you spend them to buy. Quests is that a fair way to put it, Dave? Would you say to complete them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you complete them, but you're buying them, and they sit. At, some of them have an active effect. They sit on your side of the the table, and you're sort of buying. Some of them give you bonuses, um, and that that just feels forced to me. Like, okay, now I'm going to buy two uh, fighters, and I'm going to send them to this temple, and the theming doesn't work for me. Hey, okay, let me get down to brass tacks, Dave. Here's my problem with Lords of Waterdeep. I can sum it up in two words. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Dominant species. Mm. Now, have you played that? Do you know it? No, I haven't, but I need to. That's what people say. I really feel dominant species is the one that closes the book on worker placement. And not only that, it, it's it's worker placement, it's territory control, it's it's crazily asymmetrical sides, uh, you know, the different races that you play. The theming in that is just fantastic. This idea of having you play a, a race and you're working through the Ice Age uh, and you're, you're adapting and you're evolving and you're migrating. Uh, and the, the theming of that is just fantastic. I adore it. And actually, it's I, I have a copy on the way uh, that should be here tomorrow. Uh, so it's one of those things that I discovered on the iPad, felt like I had to have the, the, the tabletop version. Um, mm. So, I, you know, as, as much as I, I respect how different Lords of Waterdeep's approach is, I just kind of feel like there's there's something that already closed the book for me personally. Um, All right. Thank you for the tip. So have, have you, you have played Lords of Waterdeep, though. Uh, you, you have it? I do. It was one of the games that um, I got as a thank you gift. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, you so you have you played it much or is it just in that discovery phase kind of? I think I've played it about twenty times. Oh, so you're really wow! Look at you, nice. Okay, yeah, love it. Do you role play when you're doing one of the quests? <laughs> I do not, but I do call the cubes not by their colors, but by what they are. That's about as close as I come. Like fighters, wizards, clerics, etc. Uh, do you have a mnemonic device to help new players remember which cube, which colored cube is which class? Hmm. No. Do you? I do. Yes. Let's um, hear it. Oh, oh God. 
<laughs> okay, well, let me see if I can remember. So the, the clerics are white, right? They are. Because they're healing. So they're white, they're good guys, they're healing, they're holy men. That one's an easy one. Uh, I might need your help. Are the wizards purple? They are. Okay, so purple is the color of mana. It's like your mana thing in Diablo. It's blue. You know, so mana is blue. Purple is close enough. So that's how you know it's a wizard. He uses mm -hmm. uh, uh, thieves are black. That's pretty straightforward. They're the evil ones, right? Mm-hmm. And is uh, it, uh, racist. <laughs> you know what? It's it's not a racial thing, Master. It's just it's darkness and light, good and evil. Uh, racist. And uh, let's see. So here was the tough one for me. Warriors are aren't they orange? Yep. Okay, that's not orange, it's red, it's the color of blood, but because it's a family game, they couldn't go full-on red. So warriors slice people up and spill blood. It's a family game, it can't be red, so it's orange. The orange is the blood spilled by the warriors. So, theoretical question. So yes. Suppose that there was one person there who had heard you say all that before. Would you still go ahead and say it to the other people? You, you mean to, if I was teaching the game? Yeah, if you were teaching the game and, and you knew oh, okay. that someone had already heard this, would right. you have the courage? Or he would. Okay. Well, no, no, you know, I'm not. I'm not doing that to be funny. I'm doing that because I, when you teach someone a board game, I think it really helps to have, even if it's outrageous and ridiculous, which I freely grant this is a little bit of that. It helps to to give somebody to to help somebody remember that kind of detail. Like when you teach someone a board game, I feel that kind of silliness is really important. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a more entertaining way to express an important rule, and people will remember it if you just rather than if you just say warriors are orange, thieves are black, clerics are white, wizards are purple. Well, here's how I do it. Maybe you want to do it. This is a little more scholarly. Like the, ah, the, okay. the clerics come from a place called the plinth, and if you just define for everybody what a plinth is, they'll never forget what a, that the clerics come from there. You see what I mean? But how are they going to know the white cube is a cleric? Why can't a plinth be orange? Ah, uh, because the white. But, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll rest my case. Your witness. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that though. Oh, you didn't. That's fine. That's yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, but no. So uh, I. I. I think it's it's an okay game, but it just doesn't work for, for me just because I feel there are better worker placement games. Do you know Carson City, by the way? No, I don't. Yeah, Carson City is another one I love. It's a it's a city builder. It's a it's a competitive multiplayer city builder. Uh, with worker placement around it, like that's the core of it. Um, so, well, we will resume our our discussion after I played those two games. Thank you. I've I've noted them in my journal. All right. Well, let's talk some video games now. All right. Uh, let's get digital. Mm. As they say. Uh, let's first do some news of the week. Uh, Jason T. McMaster, what do you have for us as your choice of news story of the week? Uh well, after a long and uh, arduous search. I came across this Lego game. It's coming out. Oh, wait a Legends minute. Of <laughs> Have you heard of this? Well, I know Lego Lord of the Rings. It just did Lego Lord of the Rings. So, uh, yeah, that's. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, no. This is a whole new property. Uh, but it's not going to be like a proper Lego to the consoles game. It uh, doesn't seem. They're actually releasing three games for something that doesn't really exist as a, as a property up until this point. Uh, Lego is uh, making a new collection of toys about a land inhabited by different magical animal tribes. And uh, it's called Lego Legends of Chima. Or Chima. It'd have to be Chima. Wait, I thought this was, uh, this is not a video game? No, it is, uh, as well as 
uh, a DS game, an iOS game, uh, and a free-to-play online world game. Oh, I can't wait for that. Can I, I know play you on? can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and- and what it's about, a, like a cat, right? It's like a lion. The second game is uh, Lego Legends of Chima Laval's Journey, coming to 3DS and the Vita. Uh, will uh, follow him, and he's kind of like a a lion with a magical sword, a la the Thundercats. Hmm. And so we can play that. When can we play this, McMaster? Well, the iOS game comes out tomorrow. But, oh, uh, that, that soon? Like, wh- wait a minute. I thought this was yeah. like some future property. So this is an actual, is this like a kid's cartoon, or what? what is this thing? I don't think so. I think it's actually uh, something Lego came up with. It's like they're trying to make a new property, and if they were to, I don't know, and they're using, you know, Traveler's Tales for it as well, which is kind of interesting, and Warner Brothers. Uh, so that's why I've never heard of it. Okay. I did not know. Okay. So yeah, Legend I, of Chima. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, and you should get, like I said, the iOS game tomorrow. It's supposed to be kind of like a speeder racing game, though, so just keep that in mind. Uh, the other one, uh, I don't know. I'm going to check it out in the Vita, though. Uh, I was kind of hoping for, I, I mean, this would be a whole different direction, but you know, this is obviously aimed at kids. I was kind of hoping they might push a more adult angle, and I was hoping for something like a, a Lego No Country for Old Men or something like that. Man, that would be a great <laughs> Lego set. I mean, even um, if you just made, like, ironically or something. Like, I, I would love that. A, a Lego Sugar, a Lego Llewellyn. Yeah. Um, it, it is hard to argue with that, yeah. you know? Just think about it. At the end, you could be Lego Tommy Lee Jones. You could go out to your, like, uncle or whatever's house, or your dad's, or, and you could drink really old coffee, and uh, you could Lego stare off into the distance. And uh, yeah, think about retiring. <laughs> but you know, if it was Traveler's Tales, if it was Traveler's Tales, your your Lego Tommy Lee Jones would just be like smashing everything in the trailer for the studs and whacking the cats and the horses. And I I just want no part of that. All right, uh, you, but very appropriate though for a very appropriate for a Lego Sugar. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> you'd have a little Lego air tank. Right, exactly. I like that, McMaster. Uh, all right. Would the little little cattle prod to go in and out? Would it? Absolutely. Lego can handle that, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think do so. Think, yeah. Do you think Lego Django Unchained would work? Totally. Yeah, although mm. I prefer Lego Inglorious Bastards. Now, mm. I, I would love to see that game. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the best game ever. Uh, all right, so a uh, new Lego game on the way. Uh, we'll look forward to that, McMaster. Uh, McMaster, we we need you to play that for us. So get, mm. get on that. Let us know next week how that is. I'll be. I probably will. I'll be minding the horses in uh, Red Dead uh, Redemption. <laughs> yeah, you're going to take the bullet on that one, huh? I can't believe Dave got me with that. All right, so Dave, just for that, you're going next. What is your news of the week? I actually have two small things, two small bits of news. First of all, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but 10 more nations in Civilization Five have raised the minimum, minimum wage <clears throat> for their workers, which you'd think would... Pr- a lot of pressure on the only one to hold out, but they're the Huns, so, you know, probably not going to happen. Wait a minute, when did this happen? <laughs> uh, just this week. Uh, it's probably no surprise that the Huns are also among the five nations who lack support for gay marriage in Civilization V. I knew I should have been keeping up with Civ V. It uh, sounds like a lot, of, a lot of important social issues happening there. I just started <laughs> playing it, so I am, I'm really up on it. Um, uh, where, do, where do they stand on uh, women's rights, the Huns? 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not not good. I don't, not good. Let's just yeah. Well said. They're not a humanitarian group. They lag behind the Germans. Let's just say that. <laughs> so, and and the Netherlands, Dians. Uh, my other bit of news is that, uh, and this is actually for real, that over at Pocket Tactics, uh, the editor's game of the year for 2012 and the multiplayer game of the year is uh, Summoner Wars, Tom. <sighs> I- I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people love Summoner Wars. A lot of people love just the, the different sides and the whole card and dice-based <laughs> gameplay. and Random, though. A lot uh, of people, a lot of people, uh, yeah, a lot of people love flipping coins too. I just want to say, <laughs> I was, I, I'm with Tom on this one, honestly. Like after playing a bunch of games, where I felt that I, I honestly feel I should have won after playing the hell out of a game, I lost to ridiculous right dice rolls, and you're just like, oh, 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 I'm gonna kill you, game. If I can mm. strangle the game, I think <laughs> I think Summoner Wars might be the game I'd strangle. Uh, now you you were a fan though of Summoner Wars, weren't you, Dave? That game worked for you pretty well. Yeah, I did. I did like it. Uh, in fact, you and I, much to Jason's chagrin, argued over it for about 45 minutes last time I was on. <laughs> oh, God, I remember that now. I had actually kind of blocked that out. Um, Shouldn't right. brought that up. Sorry, man. You know what? While we're, while we're on the topic, while we're fairly close to the topic of worker placement games that we were just talking about, I want to bring up another worker placement game for a reason that I feel... It ties into one of my problems with Summoner Wars. So there's a worker placement game called Stone Age, uh, which I really like. Uh, You do or don't know that one? I do know that one. I like it. So one of the things I love about Stone Age, worker placement is kind of classic Euro game. You know, there's nothing hidden, no randomness, that kind of game mechanic. Um, Mm. What Stone Age does is it introduces dice uh, for the resource gathering. Um, and to some Euro purists, that might seem like anathema. Um, but with Stone Age, you when you're when you're harvesting resources, you have to roll dice, and the amount of resources you get is based on the die rolls. Uh, so that's randomness right there. Euro gamers might hate that. But one of the things that Stone Age also does is the the dice rolling is only related to harvesting goods, and furthermore, it introduces a mechanic where you can minimize the randomness, where you can affect the die rolls. Uh, One of the things you can do with your workers is is make tools, and tools are ways to add to your die rolls and and therefore minimize the, the chance and the risk for, for resource harvesting. Uh, I, I really like how it introduces randomness, but it doesn't let it run roughshod over the gameplay in Stone Age. Um, and I kind of feel like, uh, and, and this is intentional, I don't feel like it's an oversight or a bad design decision. Uh, I feel like the die rolls are such a huge part of Summoner Wars. Uh, and there's no mechanism to sort of minimize it. Different, you know, different die rolls uh, work differently at different times. But it so is in love with these dramatic reversals of fortune that come from the dice in Summoner Wars. Um, so if 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 uh, if it had been a bit more like Stone Age, maybe I would have resonated a bit more with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I played a game recently called I can't remember something like Cosmic something or other some game. standard sort of name Cosmic Game yeah uh, <laughs> in which you roll dice each turn um, but then you have a choice of where to put them so it's almost like 
uh, it doesn't matter if you get, there's no really bad role. There are some roles right. that you might prefer at the time and you might not get it. And you'll be disappointed, but you can't just get screwed by luck as badly. Like all getting all ones might be really awesome for a certain task right. kind of thing. So or the dice sort of guide, uh, is that, I haven't played it, but I think I know it. Is it called like, oh, I want to say space empires, but that sounds just as generic as cosmic, um, cosmic space empires game. <laughs> yes, Cosmic Space Empires game. It is Eclipse. It. Isn't that? Isn't it Eclipse? No, that's a whole Maybe different not. game. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I did I, fall. I, 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 <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> but uh, there's a there's a great two player Lord of the Rings game which has the same kind of thing. Where at the start of your turn you roll these dice with crazy icons on them, and the icons you get determine what actions you can take that turn. So you're never right. certain what you can do. It's 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 never going to be like oh I got all ones I'm going to lose. It's oh I got all Sauron eyes I can only do certain things this turn. Um, like Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> Sauron eyes. McMaster, can you get on uh, making a remix of that for us? Oh, you, yeah, you got it. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. All right, so my news of the week. By the way, thanks, Owen. Summoner Wars. Uh, everyone get Summoner Wars. Um, and you know what? i got to say, I do like what they did just with the variety, and I, I really like how they translated it into the iPod. I'm just so not a fan of the original game iPod, what am I saying? The iPad, the iOS. Uh, mm-hmm. I just am so not a fan of the base game. Uh, all right, so my news of the week, uh, speaking of same-sex marriages, Dave Perkins, you touched on this. So uh, Star Wars Old Republic, as long as a year ago, has been saying we're going to introduce same-sex marriages into our game. Old Republic is an MMO. You have these, uh, not same-sex marriages, same-sex relationships. I guess you could get married. Uh, but you have a, a sidekick. I forget what it's called. Companion, I think, uh, that you can run around. You can have run around with you. And yeah. Bioware loves doing their little, uh, like, romances, um, their romance subplots in their games. And Old Republic is no exception. You can romance your companion or sidekick or whatever it's called. Um so uh, as long as it's been around, because Bioware has always been at the forefront of this sort of thing, uh, players have asked about, hey, can we have same-sex relationships in Star Wars or Old Republic? And Bioware has always been, yes, we're going to do that. They have not actually done that. So for a year, the game's been out for a year, they've been talking about, yes, we're going to do that, yes, we're going to do that. They've gotten the commensurate amount of attention that you might imagine from various conservative groups who say things like, there's no gay in Star Wars. You know, there's no LGBT stuff in Star Wars. Uh, And they issue press releases and they get attention for that. Mm. Uh, So finally this week, Jeff Hickman, he's the executive producer uh, for Star Wars Old Republic, on their developer blog, uh, has offered some concrete news about, yes, they're still working on it. Uh, He writes on the blog, he apologizes that it's taken so long. He cites the stuff that they've been doing to rework the game for free to play. Um, And he just says, as a reminder, yes, we're still committed to doing this. He says, quote, we are adding uh, SGR, which is... What's that? Same gender relationships, yes. We are adding SGR with some NPCs. It's a lot of acronyms there. Uh, on MacHeb. I don't know what that is. Uh, and we do intend on pursuing more SGR options in the future. More details to come. Maybe MacHeb is like one of the planets sort of analogous to San Francisco. Why, though, would you only have an, a same gender relationship on this one planet, though? Can they, can you not leave? And, and have, I don't know. It seems weird. <laughs> um, Maybe that's the only planet that has a race with genitals? I don't know. 
think yeah. that are, are Twi'leks dudes and chicks? Like, I think there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of gender in Star Wars. Yeah, I don't know why they're re- why they're restricting this to Macab. Um, but you know what? Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's like some states in the United States they allow same-sex marriage. Other states don't. Maybe they're starting with this progressively social stuff on Macab, and it'll spread to the rest of the galaxy. Who knows? Um, or maybe Macab is an acronym. I'm trying to puzzle out what it might stand for. I think it is a place. McMaster, uh, look into oh. McKeb for us. We need you to be our, our Star Wars librarian, as it were. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, whatever it is, uh, it is it, it is where uh, same-gender relationships will start. I think, personally, this stuff cannot come soon enough. I, don't, I'm, I'm a, I, I think it's a little odd that they've dragged their feet for so long. Um, Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But uh, you know, Bioware has always been very progressive with that. I applaud that they have done that in their Dragon Age and their Mass Effect games. Uh, and I wonder too, by the way, was there any pushback from Lucas? You know, mm-hmm. was this something that Lucas Films was basically saying, eh, "Don't, don't do any of that"? And now that it's been transferred to Disney, you know, now that that Lucas oh, is the is, super gay-friendly Disney. You say that, McMaster, but <laughs> you say that, McMaster, but uh, do you know the TV show Modern Family? Yes, I, I'm familiar with Modern Family. Do you know what company is ultimately the parent? Oh, God. Is it Viacom or something? No, I mean, it's Disney. Because... It's, it's Disney. It's ABC. It's an ABC property. ABC is owned by Disney. Modern Family is, is you know, it, it very prominently features a gay couple in a, in a committed relationship raising a child. And it's, you know, it runs on ABC, and ABC is a, a Disney company. So, sure. I, you know, I mean, but they've also, I mean, that's... Sure, Disney's the parent company, but that's why Disney has those companies, is to do things like that and not be associated with the Disney name. Right. Well, I think now that Star Wars, everyone now knows that Star Wars is Disney. And if a oh, Star yeah. Wars property is now getting, uh, publicly getting gay relationships, which it should be, uh, I, I think this clearly says Disney is okay with gay relationships, by extension. Um, and I think they are. I mean, I know that they, they get dinged for how they how how careful they are with that whole Disneyland property, like all that stuff. Very kid-friendly. I know, you know, Mickey Mouse is not going to be in a gay relationship anytime soon. Uh, yeah. But the fact that Disney will let this happen on Modern Family, that they're presumably okay with it in Star Wars Old Republic, uh, I think that that's meaningful. That matters. So, um, But yes, you're, you're right, McMaster, in that we probably won't see this on the happiest place on Earth in, anytime soon. Just uh, a shame. That would be a hell of a theme park. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, there we go. That's some news of the week. Uh, let's now talk uh, games of the week. Dave, let's let's uh, knock this one out of, out first because I'm I, I'm curious to hear more about this. Uh, your game of the week. You've kind of tipped your hand. Uh, it is a card game, and I think it's on the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's based on a cartoon. Is that what they call it? Mm. <laughs> I don't know what what a, a web they graphic. They call it a talkie. <laughs> yeah, so, so tell us what what is your what is your game of the week? Uh, well, first and, of all, I just I just want to say that I thought your news of the week was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, glad you glad you brought that up. Thank you. Um, my game of the week is a game that I was just introduced to this week, appropriately, mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe two weeks ago. One of the quarter to three. Um, 
players in the Ascension League and in the Nuroshima Hex League and in the Summoner Wars League. His name is Chung. He bought it for me as a gift, which was nice. So uh, I played it for a little while, played him in a couple of games. Uh, it's called Penny Arcade, the game, Gamers vs. Evil. And uh, just today, I think, maybe yesterday, I started a Penny Arcade League. The January League is up, and it's already got 20, 30 people in it. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely got some interest. Now, sell me on this, because I think, okay, what makes this a good card game? And that's one thing I want to know. And the other thing I want to know is, how can you make much of a game out of the... Is it just one guy is Gabe, and one is Tycho, and they fight each other? Oh, I guess they're against evil. Um I guess I don't have a sense for the mythology here. Uh, there's there's quite a bit of mythology involved in their comic. Okay. Hmm. They really, I mean, there's there's all there. Well, they've been doing it forever. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like tons of different little characters and stuff. Plus, yeah, I mean, and also it looks like it's Playdeck. It is. Oh, Same well, company okay. as Ascension. And and yeah. Summoner Wars, by the way. And Summoner Wars, right? <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know who designed it. Um, so I should just say basically what it's like. The it, it's it's like ascension in that you start with a a given starting deck, mm-hmm. uh, which and most of the starting decks are similar. Um, but you also choose one of two heroes to play, and those heroes have a special power. You can imagine in ascension you get to pick between two heroes at the very start of the game, and one of them might give you a boost to power, the other one might give you a boost to runes, the other one might be really good at constructs, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So in Penny Arcade, there are, I think, ten heroes. Tycho and Gabe are the main characters of the Penny Arcade strip, and they are heroes, and so are some of the other uh, characters that are featured. Like Jason said, they have such a long history. There are so many to pick from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, An- for example, Anarchy, who I think is one of those guys' niece or daughter or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's her uh, nickname. Little, little sister or something like that. Little sister, yeah, exactly. Um, so, for example, if you pick her, she gives you a, a card uh, in your deck that boosts your power, but it's a card as opposed to a constant power kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like Dominion, there are stacks of cards in the middle of the table that are picked randomly by the by the game. There's 14 stacks. Some of them are associated kind of like Ascension with with cards you buy with, and the other cards are cards you kill with. Um, although there's some mixture. Uh, they, they kind of blend a little bit more than Ascension's cards blend, I think. Um and then the other layer on top of that is that there are two stacks of boss loot. As if you if you can get enough power or purchase together in your hand, you can actually take some loot from one of the bosses. And the bosses are, they range from some kind of wicked-looking Santa Claus with a shotgun to Satan. So if you, if you, for example, can take one of Satan's loot cards, it may do something that damages the other player, for example. Um, and that's it all about it. Are you knocking it away at each player's hit points? Is it like magic in that regard? No. The, the only thing you can do to another player is get them to discard a card or put a, a useless card in their hand called a Pax Pox which I'm sure is an inside joke. I think one of them maybe got sick when they went to the PAX conference, and they they said they got the PAX pox, and that mm-hmm. stuck. So. so it's a lot like Dominion and, and Ascension and scoring, then, that you're not yeah. like directly affecting the other player. You're just trying to get combos for yourself that can eventually 
overpower, which I so it, it, that sounds actually pretty cool. I'm actually going to check that out. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's good. I don't know how much legs it'll have. Ascension's going into its what 16th straight month of league play, and there's like more people than ever. I don't think Penny Arcade's game is going to do the same, but I think it'll last. Know. My guess is like three, four months. We'll keep it going, but I might be wrong. It might be a deeper game than I think. Uh, tell me a bit about the the presentation. I think since it's Penny Arcade, it's probably got some pretty cool art stuff. Like, do they uh, do they do a good job with that, Dave? Mm-hmm. I love their art. Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know who designed the text on the cards, but it looks like it almost looks like the first placeholder text you would just type onto the card to just sort of like play test it. It really looks awful. <laughs> but the the art the art itself, I love Penny Arcade's art, so you know yeah, I'm totally too. sold on that. Yeah. So that's good. And I just wanna kinda say the sound design is is good. It's better than Ascension's sound design. What? Sound design? There's no sound design in card games. <laughs> <laughs> Have you you've killed a f- Celtus lately, I'm sure. And oh, you know I hate that. the. I hate the. What is it? There's some asp thing that makes a horrible noise that freaks my cat out anytime I kill him in Ascension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shadow cat. It's good. I like the sound in Ascension. It's fine. I usually don't turn it down, but I think Penny Arcades is a little more quirky and a little more pleasant, and and the music. I actually leave it on. What? Uh, I did. I could hardly ever do that in a game. I usually go straight for the music option, turn it off. But in Penny Arcade, it's got this like eight-bit sort of pleasant doodling tune going on in the background that never gets old. So okay, very cool. Hmm. Uh, and and are they doing? You mentioned there are ten different uh, heroes. When I hear that, I immediately think, oh, are they doing a Summoner Wars thing where you have to buy different ones individually, or it's just sold as a complete total package for one price? It's a complete total package. Okay. I don't know what their plans are for the future. Right. Good. All right. Uh, and tell me again the full name of it. What? Gamers vs. Penny Arcade Game colon Gamers vs. Evil? Did I get it right? Yeah, I don't know about the punctuation exactly. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> well, you- I'm pretty sure it's it's got the word game in it. Okay. I know it says Gamers vs. Evil. There's no sense in the game that it is Gamers vs. Evil, as far as I can tell. Well, I That's think if you're... If just you're- a joke. If you're stealing loot from Satan, I think you are definitely pitting yourself against evil, it sounds like. You know, that's a good point. That is a good point. That is a good point. All right, so uh, another another card game. Good. Um, and is it a, uh, a $5 thing, a $0.99 cent thing? Do you know offhand? You got it as a gift. You don't know. McMaster, don't know. how much is Penny Arcade Game Gamer versus Evil? Four ninety nine. Very good. All right. Uh, all right, so uh, Jason T. McMaster, what is your game of the week? My game of the week is one that we've recently discussed, but I've put a lot of time into, thanks to the Steam sale, uh, which is Skyrim. Hmm. I have uh, been playing Skyrim nonstop since I got it, uh, relatively cheap, and uh, modded it. So that it's a completely different experience now. So you basically broke what Bethesda has given you. Yes, but I broke it in such beautiful ways. <laughs> uh, like, so, uh, you know, if... if uh, you No, know, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Getting out of control there. I was, I was just going to ask what kind of... What mods do you especially like? Uh, you know, the, see... Chris and I are uh, Chris Hornbossel, uh, Triggercut, and I are fundamentally different in that 
he's added a lot of realism to the game, as well as I. But I, I'm one of those guys that, like, you know what? I played Dark Souls uh, and Demon Souls, and I enjoyed those games' difficulty for what they were. I, I wouldn't want to make them more difficult. Uh, Skyrim, to me, was designed as, like, a giant, fun world to traipse through. Uh, but I, I also think that it's kind of a... It's kind of a little too easy. Um, but I have not imposed upon myself, for instance, uh, the necessity to eat or to carry a tent or uh, bathe or whatever the hell else was implemented. Um, however, I think the coolest mods I've come across, uh, he has talked about a little bit. Uh, my favorite is uh, Project uh, Reality, Climates of Tamriel. Uh which adds like thousands of different types of uh, days and nights and weather types, adds like thunderstorms and all mm. sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, and if uh, if you have it hooked up like to the television like I do and you're I'm outputting optical and like surround, it's like really, really nice sounding. Mm. Uh, it's just like a really powerful feeling experience. Uh, so in other words, it, it sounds like when you play on the Xbox, you're saying... Oh no! This sounds a lot better than that. Uh, this uh, because I've also did, did what Chris did, like add birds and bugs and all sorts of stuff to the game. Uh, one of the other cooler uh, mods being um, like some of the lighting stuff you can do uh, to the interiors. I, I've added this uh, enhanced lights mod that makes like smoke trails and stuff like that, and also makes lights to give off actual light instead of just having one giant light source in the room. Uh, and uh, it, it just adds, like, a lot to the atmosphere. But I think the most interesting one is to, is one we talked about uh, some, it's just the Skyrim Redone, or Skyri, as I like to say, because it gives me a chance to say Skyri. McMaster, I invite you to say it, like because it's S-K-Y-R-E. Just try sometimes. You don't have to commit to this, but every now and then just call it Skier. Skier? Yes, uh, you guys want to play some skier? Write that um, on precise. Skyrim redone skiery. Yeah, I like just like saying skiery. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'll try the skier. Okay. Why not? Why not for you, Tom? So, McMaster, I have a question for you. I, okay, so two points. Um, first is what kind of character are you playing? I presume you're starting a new. You're starting a new character. You've yes. certainly played before. What are you? Uh, what are you building up this time? Well, one of the big things was skier. That I find interesting is that they've added tons of weapons, and the weapons themselves and the perk trees for the weapons have been ah. greatly, greatly modified. So I've always been a thief. I always play the thief, uh, assassin kind of rogue character. Um, and I recently played, not all the way through, but through a majority of the quests uh, in the main game as a mage. So I was like, you know, I want to try out the combat. So. Uh, I had in also installed this mod called, um, hell, I don't remember what it is, Creative Character Creation or something. Uh, anyway, it adds more of a character creation like Morrowind mm -hmm. uh, than Skyrim, so you get to choose a class, and you get to choose like a birth sign. Uh, and instead of going to all like sorts of different standing stones, you choose one at the beginning of the game, and you just keep that one. Or uh, you can change it, I believe, through settings. Um and uh, so I chose to play as a knight, but I made a Redguard knight, uh, and uh, he's been stabbing his way through 
Amriel ever since, or the Skyrim mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah went nuts and has been making a Khajiit rogues. Uh, one of the big changes they did to uh, in Skier is that the Khajiit gets permanent uh, toggleable night vision instead of just something that works every now and then. Uh, and also, they can run faster and jump higher and take less fall damage. So they're they're kind of a good bit different. They're the cat people, right? Right, right. And uh, with, like, the lighting engine and everything, which that's, I guess, one of my biggest complaints. Like, I can handle a lot of the stuff about Bethesda games, but I hate how the nighttime in Bethesda games is daytime with a different colored filter. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, ridiculous looking. Um, so with the lighting engine and all that stuff turned up pretty high, um, you know, it, it's really hard to see at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, man, that night vision stuff is uh, it's pretty handy. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there's there's so many changes to the game itself that uh, it, it's really, it gives a lot of character. Uh, I like how uh, one of the big changes that you do with these mods is, like, you can up the skill cap per skill uh, to, I think this one does 300. And uh, so you're, you're actually gaining levels and kind of getting more skills and perks as you go a little bit faster, but you also go well above the normal skill and level cap. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and, and finally, in closing, McMaster, uh, just one, one thing i got to tell you. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to keep your grabber McNasties off of Lydia. All right. Dibs. You know, and what's hilarious is I keep playing with all these mods, and I've got all this stuff installed, and like, there's certain mods I see, and I just think, man, if only Tom was playing this on computer. This this is a Tom Chick mod. Well, can you like have Sarah Palin as a companion? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, but there, there, there are delightful ones though, like scenic carriage rides. Where yes, you, that, like, I would love that. I, Chris has talked about that. I, I love the idea yeah. of that. Yeah. And there's one that I feel awful for enjoying as much as uh, I do, but I, the second I saw it, I was like, well, I have to have it, was you could kill children with a mod. That's, <laughs> you know, it, non-immortal. That's the, the grim realities of actual that's, fantasy that, that happened, yeah. And it's like, you know, if you're playing an evil character and a child in regular Skyrim comes up to you and goes, I'm not scared of you. You you know, you're such a piece of shit. What are you going to do, fancy boy? You know, in regular Skyrim, you can't do anything about that. In this one, I discovered you certainly can. So, McMaster, what ESRB rating would this mod get? Well, I will say, with the it just straight from child murdering, it would go to adults only. Uh, yeah. now, All right. Take, take out the child murdering. I, I don't have any of the adult-themed mods. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Are you, is there, like, all this, like, nude skin stuff that people do as uh, well? It's the Internet. Oh, good I, Lord. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what you were expecting. I mean, they hack, like, games that you're not supposed to to do nude skins to them. Bethesda gives people a creation kit. You know, I mean, that just says, please, I want my characters to all have dongs sticking out of every part of their body, humanly possible. <laughs> oh, I did not need that mental image, McMaster. Thank you. <laughs> you totally needed it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, all right. Well, uh, speaking of dongs sticking out of every part of their body, yeah, can this possibly be a segue? <laughs> nice segue. That was, I like that. 
That was good. Uh, I got nothing. Yeah, I can't go anywhere. I've, I've hit a cul-de-sac. I went from a Segway straight into a cul-de-sac, and now I'm having to do that embarrassing thing where I turn my car around and drive past the house again. So here I go. Uh, all right, my game of the week. Um, so uh, I accidentally finished Assassin's Creed Liberation. And I don't know if you've ever done this, where you're playing a game and you're doing side quests and stuff, and you're upgrading your pistols and your 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 weapons and your your unlocking things. And every now and then you do a mission, and whoa, it's over. The credits. Oops. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened with Assassin's Creed Liberation for me. Uh, so what I'm left with. It's an open-world game, so it dumps you into the, the game, and you can run around and find collectibles, and you can still upgrade uh, your Aveline, that's the character's name, and you can buy more outfits and stuff. You can do all that. Uh, but what I'm mainly left with, as far as like the story and, and caring about what happens with this character, uh, is there are diary pages littered around the the settings and a lot of times you have to like climb and find them and uh they're, they're collectibles uh and i think when you finish the game as near as i can tell they're all indicated on the map and what the diary pages do in assassin's creed liberation is they tell you the backstory about aveline and her mother the idea is that these pages were written by aveline's mother who was a slave. Uh, she gave birth to Aveline, and then for whatever reason, you find out over the course of the game, she gave Aveline up for... She, she had Aveline raised by uh, her white lover and owner uh, and his wife, who is Aveline's stepmother. Um, so these diary pages tell the backstory of Aveline's mother. Uh, and if you care enough about the game, I find she's a fascinating character. I, I love the story. As muddled as it gets, this is an Assassin's Creed game. Uh, I love the story in Liberation. Uh, I care enough about the game to want to go through and find these diary pages and, and read the rest of them. Now, is there some reason why the diary was disassembled and then put in front of a giant fan, which blew the pages across the game world yes, to come I, to rest on ledges and stuff? There is, and that reason is uh, gameplay. It's, mm. called, it's called collectibles. Yes. Mm. Uh, now, now I, I I bring this up because this isn't my game of the week because I've already picked it. My game of the week is a game called Deadlight, which is oh. uh, which I cannot stand. Uh, I hate Deadlight. Really? Yeah, I will I talk like about. It. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but <laughs> Deadlight also has diary pages that you collect. Where you're running around, it's a two two and a half D, you know, two D with a three D engine. It's a two and a half D side scrolling game, and you basically run from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and you jump over zombies, and you do puzzles where you push crates and whatnot. And oh, good lord, I cannot. This thing is just driving me batty. I can't stand it. But it's completely linear as far as I can tell. But every now and then you can go down some other path and find a diary page. The diary pages in Deadlight, they're your own diary. <laughs> so your character is a dude I named Randall. I must admit Rand that's a little confusing. Yeah, uh, why is your own, why yeah. are you finding your own diary pages out in the world? Now it is silly. You're right. Uh, you're right, Dave, to call out. You know why are these diary pages scattered around the world? At least in Assassin's Creed uh, Three, where you meet Ben Franklin early on. Ben Franklin says to you, "Oh, I was writing this almanac and I lost all the pages." So over the course of the game, you find the pages of oh, Ben yeah. Franklin's almanac because he lost them because he's a batty old, uh, you know, he's a wacky inventor kind of guy. So you have mm -hmm. to find that for him. He lost them. He's he's addle-brained. Well, of course. So that's the fiction there. As for why Aveline's mother's diary was scattered to the the nine winds, who knows? But at least it's more. 
internally consistent than whatever's going on in Deadlight, where there are these collectible diary pages. I hate the main character, by the way. He's this typical gruff, like yeah, sounding guy. Yeah, I can't stand that guy. So I couldn't care less what he's written in his diary, uh, which is which is basically terrible post-apocalyptic fan fiction. Um, and I don't understand why he's finding his own diary pages in places that he's never even been. Um, so Deadlight, I'm not liking. McMaster, you you are into Deadlight, though? Like, it's working for you? I, I've played maybe, like, half an hour of it, and I thought it was... Uh, I, I like the art style. I like the way it... You know, I like jumping around and shooting things. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I like that kind of game. Right. Uh, the art style, for me, because it's... It, you're, you're constantly a silhouette. Like, there are backgrounds lit up, but it's very dark. You're a silhouette in the foreground. Uh, that gets a little that's starting to wear on me like i'm needing to see what's going on the spacing of the zombies when you push them back with an axe uh so the art style is is i don't feel it's holding up over the long run uh and also i really don't like how linear it is i don't know if that's going to change uh and i think my problem is i was expecting something along the lines of a castlevania or a, a metroid where you're going back and forth like shadow complex where you're going back and forth and you're opening new That's, pathways yeah. and you're upgrading your dude as far as i can tell i don't think that happens in deadlight you know i want to say that like i think and i can't say this is 100 percent, but I, I think that mark of the ninja is going to be more like that than deadlight. oh I, god mcmaster oh i'm smacking myself on the head why the freak didn't I get Mark of the Ninja instead of Deadlight? That's a good question. Oh, I'm such a... Uh, I got them both because I got them both on sale. But, I mean, uh, yeah, no, Mark of the Ninja, I, it's... So far, I haven't been going back and forth over the same area, but it does have alternate paths, and you can do things in uh, alternate ways. So it's almost like a stealth version of, like, a Metroidvania kind of thing. Yeah, I know, and I'd heard so much about it. And I, I'm seriously, I'm smacking myself on the forehead now because I had, you know, like 15 Microsoft bucks burning a hole in my pocket. And the other night, I was like, well, let me buy something. Oh, Deadlight has zombies. I'll buy that. And I totally spaced on Mark of the Ninja. What was I thinking? Uh, uh, yeah, it's like me. Uh, luckily, uh, I got, I don't know, instead of the one I was going to buy, which is that... Uh, uh, I'm alive or whatever. Yeah, I don't recommend it? that one. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I kept looking at it because I'd heard so much buzz, but like I, I ended up, uh, yeah, kind of reading a few things about it. It seems like pretty rough. Yeah, that's just a straight up sort of adventure game with puzzle climbing kind of things. Um, but but what what I did appreciate though, it was kind of cool seeing two different approaches to this whole diary concept. Like, we're going to have little bits of story, and the story I could not care less about in Deadlight. I could not care less about the guy writing the diary pages. But in Assassin's Creed Liberation, I care about the story. I love what they did with this idea with Aveline's mother. Uh, I love how it plays into parts in the story that you do find out about. But you can still fill in the details by finding the diary pages. So as collectibles, I feel that Deadlight completely fails on that diary aspect, whereas Assassin's Creed Liberation, I love what it does with the diary aspect there. Um, so what I want to talk about in mentioning that Deadlight is my game of the week and I hate it, what are good examples of collectibles? And another thing that brought this up that I want to bring up uh, is when we had Chris Hornbossel on Trigger Cut talking about Skyrim mods, uh, he mentioned in his write-up, and we talked briefly on the podcast, about a Skyrim mod that adds flocking birds. And then someone posted in the comment section, someone who uh, goes by the name Wisdom Child, 
you people, you people in your internet names. <laughs> but w- Wisdom Child had this great comment about uh, how cool would it be to have bird watching in Skyrim, where you tick the birds off of a list and you you actually find them and you look for them, and, or just in any open world game, you know, bird watching would be, and I I mean this without irony, would be such a cool thing in an open world game to get you to look at the detail and, and admire the, the wildlife um, and, and to seek out things, different areas where different birds would be. So I want to talk with you guys about collectibles. Uh, what are some examples of great collectible systems and what are some examples of bad ones? What, what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? Uh, so, so Dave, you, uh, I know there are no collectibles in games like Ascension and card games and board games. Can you think of any? You did mention some Red Dead Redemption at the head of the podcast, so I know you play some open world games. Uh, what are some collectibles that work for you? I think I think games without any collectibles are my favorites. Wow. And if, if there's going to be any at all, then they should be really f- precious. Okay. Um, so, like, for example, I heard that in Borderlands 2, which I saw a clip of because somebody shared it with me because they, they like it, so they wanted me to see some YouTube video of it. And sure, it did look really cool. It looked great, and it kind of seemed fun. It seemed like a bunch of other games I've already played, but still, the art is neat, and uh, seemed like the, the enemies fight each other like Doom style, which I think is a great feature. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I read somewhere else that there's lots of crates to open. Like, if you want to get items, you have to open crates. Like, I don't even want to open one. Unless unless it's a super important one. So I was trying to think of games where there was that I really loved that had collectibles. Um, I don't know if this this really counts as collectibles. I guess it does. It's just that they're really rare. But I loved Fire Emblem on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, Good game. I loved loved it for a lot of reasons. But one one thing I loved was that their their crates. There might have been like a dozen throughout the whole game, and if you got to one. Uh, it often cost you the life of somebody in your party. It was that hard to get to, and there'd be something in it that was remarkable. Like you, you never just found like a potion. Right. You found <laughs> a unique axe, which if you gave it to your main character, turned him into a complete badass kind of thing. So well, I that, loved that. Mm-hmm. On the other, oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to say I, I I like where you're going, but but this brings up an important point. Is I think by its very nature, a collectible is something that doesn't have any gameplay implication. It's not a resource you can spend. Uh, it's not it's not treasure or loot necessarily. Um, so so by its very nature, I think a collectible is kind of superfluous. Um, and and when I think of games that use collectibles and why they're in games, uh, I think they're often there to get you to go places you wouldn't otherwise go like for a gameplay reason like the chests in fire emblem that's a perfect example there's a risk reward there you know do you take the risk of of spending the turns to go out to this chest and if you do you get the reward of the axe that makes someone badass like that's like a serious gameplay mechanic that that's treasure risk reward collectibles are 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 usually just completely frivolous i I think oh well i have a better example then okay the last last game i can remember and this is going a long ways back, that had collectibles that I cared about was Jet Set Radio. Do you remember uh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the rollerblading yeah. game. So you had to do some crazy stunts to get up on top of this and that using your rollerblades and blah, blah, blah. 
And what you found was just soundtracks, which were added to the to the list of songs you could listen to, right? And I really Perfect. loved all the songs. Perfect so, example. All right. I love the song that. Because the song doesn't have any gameplay value. Uh, you don't need to get up there to that high spot. What it's doing is it's giving you some kind of like... And, and also with collectibles, it's something that has some kind of an overarching tracking mechanism over the course of the game. It remembers that you found it. Usually it's just ticking numbers down a list, but remembering by giving you an unlockable soundtrack song, you know, that's a great way to reward somebody for, for a collectible. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, uh, McMaster, what's a collectible that you've liked? What's a, what, what's a good example for you of collectibles? Well, I think the one that just leads to the field, as it does in so many different areas, is a Far Cry 3. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think uh, the, and the collectibles in Far Cry 3 are, are something I'm not that horribly interested in. Uh, but uh, I think games that do collectibles well are the Lego games. Um, I, like, uh, I like a lot of the side stuff you can do with them, like the gold bricks and the red bricks. They introduce uh, game-breaking features that you can turn on and off and uh, kind of add a good bit of variety and extra play to it. That's a great example, too, because it kind of... It, it's definitely a collectible in that it's optional. You don't have to find these yep. things, and you definitely have to go out of your way, go to places you wouldn't otherwise go. But I like how it does let you break the game if you want. It, it basically unlocks cheat codes, doesn't it? Right, and like... Some of them are ridiculous, some of them are, you know, whatever, some of them aren't that ridiculous, some of them are just kind of goofy for kids, you know, but like, they they all kind of vary, and uh, some, of them, uh, some of them are really useful. Some of them, if you're really trying to get all the points in a Lego game, you're going to have to unlock some of those and use some of the cheats, there's no doubt. So uh, that, that's probably my favorite, I think, of all the uh, give and takes. Uh, for collectibles. The Lego games are so based, too, around that. I mean, the Lego games, yeah. I would say, arguably, are more interested in collectibles than actual gameplay. I mean, because the, the combat in the Lego game is kind of inconsequential. The puzzles are pretty straightforward. It's pretty much all about what things you're going to collect and, and gather. And it's all about building, you know, spending those studs to buy new Lego dudes, which often don't really have any meaningful... I mean, sometimes you need them to unlock new areas, but there's so many unlockable Lego dudes, like in Batman 2 and Lord of the Rings, that as far as I can tell, there's no reason to have them other than having them. Uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely it, you know? There's so many characters that you don't need in all of those games that you just, you know... Now, McMaster, hey, maybe, maybe you like uh, Radagast. No, oh, not uh, not after seeing the Hobbit movie. I'm do, I'm I'm done with uh, Radagast. Uh, McMaster, I oh I'm sorry. Well, now I have a bone to pick with you. What? You brought up Far Cry Three. Oh. What My, is your, what is your beef with collectibles in Far Cry Three? Because I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Far Cry Three is an excellent example of collectibles. It's an okay example of collectibles. I just didn't really care about any of the collectibles. I guess was the point. Here's what I love about Far Cry 3. One of the things that you need to do with collectibles... Let me tell you guys what I think of as one of the worst-case examples of collectibles. And this came up in the discussion of birdwatching with this fellow wisdom child who brought up birdwatching, how awesome it would be in Skyrim. Here's the worst collectible ever in any video game of all time. Whoa. Yeah. 
It's a little hyperbole. I'm doing I'm doing this for dramatic effect. I'm sure there's some that are worse. But when I think of this, this 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 is bad in so many ways. In Grand Theft Auto Four, oh god, you know Rockstar, they're they've got a, a an. An odd relationship with collectibles. They do some good ones. They do some horrible ones. But in Grand Theft Auto 4, there were these... uh, Were they even radioactive? There were pigeons that you had... They weren't radioactive? For some reason, I thought they were radioactive. just pigeons. I think you just hated pigeons. Well, if you hate pigeons, this is good because you have to shoot the pigeons. Uh, There were a ridiculously high number. I think like over 100 of them around the city. Uh, Something like that, yeah. you, You had to shoot them, and you didn't get anything for your trouble until you shot all 100 and some odd of them, at which point you only got an achievement. So I feel this is a worst case scenario of collectibles in that it's it's a ridiculous b there's so many of them c there's so little reward for it and d you don't get that reward until you've gotten every single one of those pigeons so let's say if there's 100 sure like i thought after a certain amount you got something uh, in that case, I'm going to have to change my answer. I, I thought you didn't get anything until you killed all of them. Because, I, I could be wrong, but I thought it. I could be thinking of the packages too, or whatever the. Well, if if you're right, if you're right, McMaster, then it it, it still gets at what I'm talking about. In that, I, I think you need to, if you're going to have a collectibles, they need to be varied. They need to have different. F- kind of flavor in terms of how they fit in with the world. They need to offer incremental rewards if there are a, a huge number of them, and those rewards need to be clear. And Far Cry 3 meets all of those criteria. Far Cry 3, you can gather like dog tags or files about drugs right. or these sacred relics, and they all come from distinct kinds of places. Furthermore... There's just a hundred zillion of them. No, they're, 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 none of them. I don't think any of them has more than like thirty. And furthermore, each one of the each one of the collectibles, there's a screen where you can see not only how many you've got, but how many there are to go. And furthermore, at which point you get rewards and what kind of reward you're going to get. So what that does is it. In, in, in Grand Theft Auto 4, I just gave up on the pigeons because I had no desire to get all of them. I didn't know, you know, I, there was no reason to get them. It just felt completely frivolous, which a lot of collectibles will do. But in Far Cry 3, I often found myself thinking, okay, I need two more sacred relics, just two more, and then I'm going to unlock the next reward, which I think was like a, a new kind of a, and then the, the sacred relics gave you new, um, potion recipes the idea being that this tapped into the mystical potions that the island that the island's powers unlocked or, or whatever and you tended to find them on little shrines or in temple ruins and in, in caves they were in very different places than the drug files or the dog tags um so that would drive the gameplay in far cry 3 i would be playing far cry 3 and i was a guy on a quest looking for sacred relics so i could unlock mysterious recipes and that, that's a cool collectible. It has gameplay impact. It has atmosphere. Um, and I, I really liked Far Cry 3 as a game about collectibles. So suck it, McMaster. See, Please. I don't. I, I just don't. I, it didn't. I played through the first whatever it is up to the second island. And I, and while I enjoyed discovering some of the cool things, like I, I like I their map design. Uh, I like, you know, falling into... Weird caves, uh, like Waterfield caves, on occasion, finding stuff like that. But like, uh, but you were just, never a, uh, a relic hunter. You didn't. You weren't a relic hunter. You didn't care about the dog tags. That stuff didn't work for you. 
Right, right. Uh, I was more interested in Uncharted for that, but not... Yeah, Far Cry didn't really do that for me. Okay, by the way, again, Uncharted, terrible example because what... Actually, that's not entirely true. Don't you unlock... um, I I think that didn't the the relics or the artifacts that you found in Uncharted 2 and 3, I believe, didn't they unlock some kind of cheat codes or something? They may have. Okay. In a while. Um, Those guys are pretty good at that kind of thing, so I would... Probably. Well, the ratchet. Um, yes, yes, Dave. Sorry, I, I thought you said collectibles are defined as things which you collect surely for the pleasure of finding them. They don't have gameplay. They don't have an effect on gameplay. Well, they don't. They aren't. I, I'm just trying to distinguish them from treasure, from things that have that tie into the core gameplay mechanic. Like in Diablo, when you're playing Diablo and you find a, a better weapon or the the uh, the uh, fire emblem thing, like that's the core gameplay mechanic is you're you're getting better gear for your your dude um and collectibles uh i I think exist kind of outside of that and and some collectibles i guess do unlock gameplay stuff so you know what it's a it's a it's a nebulous enough definition that i guess that's not always the case yeah go ahead uh how about lost planet 2 tom there's some collectible fun for you what were the collectibles in that the freaking slot machine and doing see all again. I, I think of that as a core gameplay mechanic, and maybe you I'm too? just maybe I'm just getting <laughs> semantic. Well, that's how you get new weapons. That's how you unlock new weapons, um, mm. and that that to me is a huge imp- important part of of Lost Planet too. Or uh, how about the Smash Brothers games? I think you use uh, stickers. <laughs> yeah, well, or I think one of them was like a like machine that you got like a bubble of. Out of you know one of the ah, right, right. Toy well bubbles. you know this this gets to what Dave is talking about the stickers in uh, Super Smash Brothers you're playing the game you're playing a fighting game every now and then a sticker gets dropped and you have to walk over it and use the little pickup button and it doesn't do anything to the match that you're playing but you fill in a book a sticker book full of stickers and in the campaign game the single player game you can put stickers on the base of your character and they will modify your character's stats. Uh, based on how many of them, it's almost like a Tetris inventory thing. How many stickers can you fit on the base, and that will give you new stats. So again, it's a collectible, I guess, but it does have gameplay implications. So Dave, you're right to call me out. I got to back off of that one. Good point. Um, Did you guys ever play Limbo? That's a indie game that came out this past year. I, I have it. I have not. I, and I, I think I, I messed around with it, but I haven't really played it. Played well, it. what are the collectibles in Limbo? Well, you, it's it's. I thought of it earlier when you said that the game De- um, Dark Light, whatever the game your game of the Dead week Light. was, Deadlight. Uh, you said it was like a silhouette sort of feel. Limbo yep. is very, very, very silhouette-y. Yep. Uh, you play yep. the part of a little boy who's only exists in silhouette except for his eyeball, which you can see as a white dot. Anyway, he the game starts and he's laying in some grass. He stands up and if and he's facing to the right. And I just thought, well, I'll go to the left just because screw it. And <laughs> So to the left, there's a little dead end immediately you reach. And I think there's something like a feather, a little handkerchief, or some little white square. And I went and got it. And on the screen, it simply said 1 slash 9. So I said, well, I got the first of nine of these. I have no idea what they do, but I won all nine. Yep. And I, I found one more in the course of the game, and it was pretty tricky to see how I would get it. It was not very obvious at all. And 
despite finishing the game and restarting it and looking for them, I never found another one. The, I have no idea what happens if you get all nine. I really doubt it matters. That seems like the purest form of collectible, and it's rare, and it's really hard to get, and yet I wanted them. And I think what that's tapping into, Dave, is if you like Limbo enough, here's your incentive to really you know, explore every nook and cranny. Like yeah, for, it was for, like... For a power gamer, here's an excuse to stay in this world longer than you would normally. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah you, well ma- you, you mentioned feathers, Dave. That, that gives me cold chills thinking of the stupid feathers in, I think, the original Assassin's Creed. Like, yeah, weren't there? It was, uh, you collected feathers in that. I think you. No, 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 no. It was two, I think. Oh, no. You know what? <laughs> It was, His mom uh, had a box of feathers or something. And, it and that one, out. right. Like, you knew how many feathers. I think that tracked yeah. how many. That wasn't as bad. I think there were banners, or there was some tedious... It's banner. It is something stupid in the original one. That, yeah. yeah it's, it's like all the speed trial crap in the original one. It's just awful. It was always the same. But I did like the... the yeah, so the feathers, actually, I feel bad for mixing them up. Because I, I liked the feathers because there was this idea that your your dying mother... Wasn't she sick? Like, your dying mother wants them. And there's a box she keeps by her bed that you get the feathers and you put them in the box. And you're trying to fill that box up with feathers for your dying mother. I thought there was something poetic about that. Uh, hmm. So, uh, speaking of poetic things uh, and diary pages, a lot of collectibles... Are, are bits of narrative that get added to the game in the form of audio logs. Like, I think of audio logs as uh, information collectibles, if you will. And a lot of games, like even like Doom 3 or whatever, will use little text bits where you can read text. Who cares about that? But audio logs are a unique uh, op- opportunity to add bits of drama to a game. Uh, and I'm thinking of my favorite example of audio logs. Do you guys have anything in mind for great examples of audio logs? Hmm. I can't remember ever playing a game where there were audio logs that I wanted to hear. Dave huh. Perkins, have you not played Bioshock or Bioshock 2? Yeah, I was thinking those those were pretty great. Like all the uh, ones with, uh, like in Bioshock, the original specifically for me, with what's his name? Yeah. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I played about a I played about an hour of Bioshock. Well, Bioshock Two, the audio logs are you know they're optional, but I feel hugely important, and they unlock a lot of important story bits about not only the characters in the game, but about your own character, who you are. Uh, and there are some amazing reveals in, in, in that. And, and Bioshock and Bioshock Two also did such a great job with voice acting and writing. Uh, I feel like it was a perfect storm of how to do collectible bits of narrative with those audio mm. logs. Um, Halo ODS2, ODST also had, you you went around the city and you could unlock, it was kind of a radio play. Uh, did you yeah. get any of that, McMaster? Yeah, I tried to. Like I, I like uh, ODST, I don't know. I didn't like the open city part that much. I did and I didn't, uh, I guess... So I didn't spend as much time in it, but I know what you're talking about. I had a, I had several of them. Yeah, and it was a radio play. Like it was, there was no yeah. reason, there was no real excuse for why you were listening to it or why it was there. It just told this story, like a you know, like a radio play with sound effects and different actors, and you would just unlock a different chapter as you found these spots around the city in ODST. Yeah, it was pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
a, a couple, two more that I want to mention briefly. Um, there are uh, some collectibles, and again, this gets to Dave Perkins shooting me down and saying that they don't have gameplay implications. Because this is in, in a game called Gravity Rush that I've been playing recently on the Vita yeah. and in Crackdown. The collectibles are the things that level you up in that they're scattered around this open city, and you never have to do this, but but I can't imagine anyone playing those games who didn't find himself compulsively chasing these down. You find orbs in Crackdown, and you find these little gems in Gravity Rush, and that's the stuff that improves your character's abilities. Those are basically your experience points. So your collectibles are just they're, they're little things scattered around to encourage you to explore, and they're the mechanism. They're like the experience points in the game. Uh, I love that approach. Uh, so, and then finally, uh, as far as like pointless collectibles that have flavor, these actually they do have a little bit of gameplay implication. Uh, in Xenoblade Chronicles, as you're as you're exploring this crazy open world RPG, you'll find little dots of light on the ground, and that's literally what they are. They're just little glowing bits on the ground, and you go over and you pick them up. And when you pick them up, they fill in. Uh, basically checklists. It's like the bird watching thing, but you're not actually watching a bird. You're just picking up a dot of light. It'll fill in a checklist for each region uh, of various categories. Like a region will have categories of types of bugs, types of mammals, types of flowers. And when you pick up these bits of light, you'll randomly find one of those. So what will happen is that you're trying to complete these checklists, because when you complete them, I think you get a piece of gear. Uh, So part of the gameplay in Xenoblade Chronicles is me running around looking for a particular beetle in the magma yeah. forest or exactly. you know visiting the islands of the errant sea because I need two more flowers to complete my set. Uh, but they're really just these glowing dots that appear at spawn points, but it creates this, this, ver- this feeling of like a, a flower press book or bird watching or a bug collection. Uh, I really like that one. What about like uh, it also has that thing uh, leading to another game with some interesting collectible bits uh, like Dark Cloud and Dark Cloud 2 where you're building up cities. Uh, so you have that as well that you can do on the side that has an effect but is also kind of a cool collectible in Xenoblades. Yeah, and in, in Colony 6 and in the city in Dark Cloud, you're looking for residents. And by the way, the homestead in Assassin's Creed 3. You're looking yeah. for people to move into the city. It's like people as collectibles, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, you know, oh, another game with audio logs, uh, Fallout 3, etc. Hey, yeah, Bethesda, uh, Skyrim have audio logs? Do they have their books? No. Does anybody collect yeah. books? Does anybody read those books, by the way, and collect no, them? No, I don't actually read them, but I, I'm in the horrible habit of just, like, click uh, A, B, A, B, A, B on, like, every book just to make sure it's not, like, a skill point. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, very good, very good. And I, even though I'm playing on the PC, I have like the 360 controller hooked up, so I'm kind of cheating. Well, uh, I, I'm going to bet dollars to donuts that people listening to this podcast are now screaming at the podcast with an important collect example of collectibles that we have forgotten. Uh, we want to hear about it. Post in the comment section. Tell us about collectibles that you like, or even collectibles you don't like. Like, what makes a good collectible system for you? By or, the way, go ahead, McMaster. Or what's the uh, what's the hardest ever? Uh, I'm thinking for me, Final Fantasy VII was pretty rough. But, uh, 
what was the collectible in that? What made it rough? Oh, God, getting all the different um, materia and stuff, like getting the Knights of the Round materia or killing red and, or ruby and emerald weapon and all that stuff. Just that, And the, the uh, chocobo breeding and all that. Uh, so, you know, uh, you, were speaking, you were speaking basically Greek to me, McMaster, until you said chocobo. I know what those are. All right, and that's that's where like you had to breed like a I think it was a gold chocobo or something like that to go across this certain area to get to the Knights of the Round like materia, which uh, it was just like such a huge like like dozens and dozens of hours worth of time sink. And uh, I mean, you know, basically it just gave you something that you could just walk through the game with, but it, you you paid for it. McMaster, did you spend more time on chocobos in Final Fantasy or collecting the sex dolls in Saints Row Three? Oh God, I don't. <laughs> you don't have to use that. Don't incriminate yourself, McMaster. You no, I don't even remember yeah. those, honestly. Oh, and yeah, I didn't even know they were there either. I had no idea. Oh yes, <laughs> I read Saints Row Three for the articles. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. All right, so let us know uh, what collectibles you like, what collectibles you don't like. Also, it's important, let us know, do you agree with me that Far Cry 3 is an awesome example of collectibles, or are you unimpressed like McMaster was? Uh, it's too much. Too much. There's like 120 idols, all told. <laughs> stuff. To, like, There's just too damn much for me. I understand. It's a, it's a very densely packed island, pair of islands. It, it really is. It's like all of civilization had to have happened on those two islands. Uh, it's like... There's no way that there's that much, like, awesome treasure just laying the hell around everywhere. This makes no sense. So, uh, Dave Perkins, now that you're the world champion of Ascension, do you have to do, like, visits to shopping malls and uh, speaking tours and stuff like that? What, what, how has that changed your life? <laughs> it has changed my life in the sense that um, my wife calls me world champion almost <laughs> on a daily basis. And That's- not necessarily sarcastically. That's got to be there you awesome. Uh, and she was, are you- she was the Michelle was the first person I texted as as I looked at the screen, which said that I had won. I texted her. I think I just text, texted her, "World champ." <laughs> well, I would hope so. That's the and sort of she- thing. Exactly. You want to tell your wife immediately, oh, yeah. right? And Absolutely. she sent back. I think it was "yay," followed by about twenty exclamation points. So that's that's true support right there. That's a that's a big yay. That is a big yay. Dave Perkins, behind every successful Ascension player, there is a successful woman. No, I'm, I'm butchering some saying that I feel is relevant. Uh, but it's awesome that your wife was supportive uh, and that all that time playing Ascension paid off for you. Mm-hmm. Are you more sick of it now? By the way, are you like less inclined to play Ascension these days or more inclined? Um, it, doesn't, it didn't have any effect on how inclined I am to beat people on quarter to three. I still am exactly as upset when I lose and exactly as euphoric when I win. All right. Well, good. I guess that's the mark. I'm in the, if you're a true champion, you're in the groove? I'm in a... No, I was actually uh, around the world championship time. I kind of made a, a slight change to how I was playing, and it obviously paid off. Um, but I think, I think the gang is kind of catching on to my little subtle change i'm not going to get into any details because i don't want to give away my trade secrets but uh i'm not doing all that much better than anybody else at this point well i hate to tell you this dave but a champion cannot be a champion forever there's always a bigger fish i i don't think you butchered that saying that was perfectly said (laughs) i i know my phantom menace by golly 
Uh, all right. So uh, thank you for joining us this week, Dave. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us. Um, appreciate thank you. It. I enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, sorry, sorry, Roger Ebert. I don't, I don't hate you, and I don't hate you. Hope you die of cancer or anything. So, well, you know what? We'll sorry, s- man. We'll see if he joins us on the podcast next week and has something to say about that. Uh, so uh, thanks to everyone listening. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been hanging out, having an awesome time with Jason T. McMaster and Dave Perkins. And thank you for joining us. And we will see everyone here next week. Michelle's going to be happy. Do you play this around the house a lot? I, I, can you get up, Dave Perkins, and give us a victory lap while this is playing? Oh, wow. In slow motion, perfectly. <laughs> Here's, here's where I see Dave and all the folks on the quarter to three walking slow motion towards the camera, like you were talking about. What did you call that, McMaster? What's that shot? That's the uh, that's the epic walk. Epic walk. <laughs> <laughs>